welcome to the Buckeye Investor. I'm your host, Demonte Hester. Join me as we interview ordinary people who have accomplished extraordinary things for the good and bad and the ugly. We'll define what wealth means and how you can achieve it too. Lead the life you want to live. Create the legacy you'd be proud of. Learn the rules and play the game. Without further ado, let's jump in. And we're live. So uh, let me grab my notes real quick. So I want to welcome you to the Buckeye Investor Show. First guest ever. Thank you. Um, so you're pretty much known for you know using, using the bird strategy to buy and host some rental properties. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, that's that's a big part of what we got going on right now. We're trying to accumulate our rental portfolio, grow it. Um, outside of that, I've got a pretty diverse background and a diverse set of interests. Like we were chatting about a little bit before we came on the air. I played a lot of music in my life. Um, I have a degree in acting, so I spent some time on stage as well. Um, my wife and I are pretty avid gardeners, and we also used to work on an organic vegetable farm um, and a flower farm. So uh, definitely a diverse set of interests, and, and real estate is is playing a pretty central role at this stage in life. Right. Um, and so, but yeah, outside of that though, we still keep those other interests going, like to travel, like to, uh, work outside, um, like to read a lot and still play music. So those are the main things. That's awesome, man. So why don't you tell me a little bit more, uh, about how it was before you started investing? Like what was life like for you? Sure. Uh, before we started investing, life was a lot of fun, a little discombobulated and, uh, we were always a little bit tighter on cash, that's for sure. So uh, we didn't get our first rental property until 2014. Um, and prior to that, as I alluded to, I spent years working as a musician, um, which entailed working in restaurants and hotels and things like that. I needed right. flexible flexible uh, schedule and hours and all that. Um, also did a lot of backpacking, uh, hiked the Appalachian Trail when I was 25 years old, uh, traveled to Madagascar with a backpack. I spent some time in Central America uh, working with sea turtles. Um, my wife and I worked on an organic vegetable farm. We worked on a flower farm. Um, I lived in New York City. So it was basically just a, a series of uh, you know events one after another. I the last thing I was doing, I think I uh, was teaching science to kids at Coastside, go to the elementary schools and do science classes with kids. That's um, cool. Yeah. And now I run a bread company. So <laughs> let's so, just say a little bit of everything. Right. Bouncing around a little bit. Yeah. Would you say that you had a like a financially sound background back then also? Or did you um, kind of have to learn those steps as you grew a little older? Right. So... I was fortunate that I came from a stable background. Uh, it was a middle-class family. Um, we weren't wealthy, but we, you know, we were fed and we had a nice home and everything. Right. Um, so my parents had a pretty structured financial life. My dad, you know, worked at the same company for a long time, and so I was fortunate in that as a kid, I did have a checking account and a savings account, and I did, you know, save some of my money and and all that. So I had good uh, a good foundation from that perspective. However, as I said, I was an artist. So, you know, I went to performing arts school when I was young and then I went to pursue a bachelor of fine arts. Um, and so my interests were definitely more in expression and experience 
and just trying to live life to the fullest. So I had a good introduction to what finances were. I had good role models that my, my parents were financially, um, I mean, not savvy, but they were responsible. And um, so, you know, that, but I just wasn't interested. I really wasn't interested. And it showed because I didn't have any money. Um, <laughs> and really, I was at the time kind of had made a deal with myself that I wouldn't do things just for the money. I wanted to do things based on the experience that I would gain from them, um, which has a lot of validity, a lot of great things about that. But, you know, I got to the point where I was in my early 30s um, and kind of tired of bouncing from these flexible jobs to flexible job. Um, you know, there's a limit to what your earning potential is going to be if you're always jumping around. Um, and so I kind of had to make a decision if I wanted to try and hunker down and make some financial progress, or if I wanted to just decide I wasn't going to worry about it and live more of a free form life. And so I kind of decided that I wanted to take a stab at, at getting a, getting a little financial stability. Sweet. Uh, so what would you say, uh, were some mistakes you made back then? Well, <laughs> We'll keep it to finances here. I made plenty of mistakes back then. <laughs> um, you know, as I said, I was definitely living more of a of a uh, carpe diem lifestyle. I wanted to just enjoy. I believed in enjoying your friends, enjoying your family, enjoying beautiful places, enjoying beautiful experiences. Um, so that was that was my philosophy, and there was a lot of enjoyment about it. But what that overlooks is the stresses that come with financial insecurity. Um, and probably part of that again was because I did come from a stable, had a stable upbringing and I didn't have, you know, we didn't have um, unmet needs when I was growing up. So by that sense, I was kind of spoiled in the sense that I hadn't encountered that stress. And so I was able to go out in the world and do my own thing. And, right. and it wasn't until that stress started to wear on me after 10 or 15 years that I realized, yeah, this is kind of, starting to be not fun, always seeing how little I have in my bank account. Um, so as far as mistakes go, um, you know, I feel like we've done well since we pivoted and, and focused on, on our financial well-being. Um, but, you know, I think that we just could have probably been a little more, um, a little more aggressive and a little more responsible in some ways, you know, I tried to adopt the abundance mindset, which, which is great, but it also convinced me to allow to continue to enjoy myself and say, Hey, I don't really need to cut back. I just need to find a way to earn more. So we probably could have made a little progress faster if we would have been real focused and committed to accumulating capital and making that like our primary goal. But that just wasn't where our minds were at the time. Um, so I think we could have moved a little bit faster. But we decided that, um, you know, it was okay as long as we're moving in the right direction. Right. Um, awesome. What, uh, uh, so we also talked a little bit about like kind of that turning point where, you know, you decided, hey, you know, the broke lifestyle, the jumping from job to job kind of thing, you know, definitely isn't for me. Right. Um, and, you know, kind of switching that mindset more towards, you know, I want to, you know, build wealth. And, you know, I know we also briefly talked about what wealth kind of means to you. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more as well on, uh, you know, because it isn't, it isn't always monetary. So what does, you know, wealth mean to you? 
Well, essentially, if you can envision the lifestyle I was describing that I was living prior to, right. um, wealth to me would be being able to continue to live that lifestyle, but being able to comfortably afford it, right? right. <laughs> and so time, right? Time, as you hear all the time, time is the asset that that's irreplaceable. And so being aware of that, I want to be able to use it how I please. And right. so wealth to me is definitely going to be... Um, just creating a way that I have that time to invest my energies wherever I want to invest them. Now, if that means that I want to spend the rest of my life building houses for Habitat for Humanity on a volunteer basis, fantastic. If that means I want to sit on the beach in a hammock, fantastic. Um, but you don't know what, you're, what you'll choose in that circumstance until you're able to make that decision, right? It's easy to sit back and say, man, I would do this, I would do that. You don't really know until you're there. And right. so for me, I think it's getting to that top level of the pyramid where what you're doing every day is only limited by what you can imagine, um, what your goals are, what your motivations are, and you don't have that financial restriction as a component, any financial constraints, right? Um, so that's wealth to me. I don't have like a lot of people do, you know, that magic number. I've got some ideas of kind of where our net worth should be, what our revenue streams should be. Um, when we decide we're really where we want to be. Um, but I also know that it's more important that I just keep moving in that direction, kind of reevaluating my goals on a regular basis. Right. Um, because achieving things is also fun and really rewarding. And, and what I've noticed from people I meet who are further along in the journey than I am is once you get to where you thought you wanted to be, you realize you have all these skills and all this knowledge and these networks and you're good at this thing now. And you might not you thought maybe you wanted to stop and bail. Maybe you're actually enjoying yourself and you want to go to the next level. Right. And so, you know, we've never set some sort of finite, you know, we need a hundred units. I need this much revenue, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just keep looking at the, the whole big picture and the way we're moving it. And I know there'll be a point when, you know, we're looking at the business and we're saying there's just more revenue here than the business needs. And we can live off of less than that. Now we've got some decisions to make, right? Should we just, start living and see what happens or do we want to, you know, keep being aggressive and grow it a little bit harder. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what it's going to look like for us. And um, I'm not sure when we'll get there, but I know we're moving in the right direction for sure. Right. And um, I know me and you have like chatted, you know, cause we, you know, I've talked a lot, you know, outside of just this um, and we talked, you know, about having that, you know, vision for, you know, what your life is supposed to be like. And um what was the thought I was going with that? I'm sorry. <laughs> so that vision for where your life is, like you want your picture of your life to be like, and, you know, sometimes that, you know, maybe a hundred unit apartments or, you know, whatever. But if you're, if that doesn't actually suit your goals, then, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if you go up that, to that point, if that makes sense. Right. I want to record all that. <laughs> you can just hit it again if you want to. <laughs> Um, geez, like, I'm trying to think of like how I was trying to say that though, mm -hmm. but, um, it's really like if, uh, I guess everyone pretty much says, you know, you need to be like, you know, multi-millionaire level, like, you know, the Grant Cardones of the world, but most people don't realize that it's the simple stuff that matters. And sometimes you don't need a, a hundred unit apartment complex to, you know, achieve those things, but yeah. all that all with you know what your goal is what your vision is and you pretty much just you know said it to me too yeah um, 
I think you're hitting on something pretty important there, actually. Um, I think that a lot of people are intimidated by whether it's investing or a new career path they're interested in because the people that they see are, you know, the Grant Cardones and those people that are really out there hitting it a thousand percent every day. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But 98% of people in the world aren't necessarily so singularly focused on something, right? Right. 98% of the people in the world also aren't necessarily considering themselves that they want to be in the top one-tenth of one percent of everything that they do, right? And I'm more of a belief that it's more important to do the right things than it is to, to do something else perfectly, okay? Right. And what I mean by that is that I know that there are people that are getting way more units than me way faster. I know there are people that probably negotiate their deal harder than I do. I know that there are people that probably haggle with the contractor more than I do. I know there are people that are probably quicker to pull a, you know, pull the trigger on evicting a tenant than I am. Um, because they're, they want that perfection hard line all the time. Right. I believe that by being in this game, by being in the rental game, by being in the real estate game, we're doing the right thing. So now what do I want to do? I want to do a good job and I want to continue to improve and I want to continue to grow my mind. My goal is not to become, you know, the biggest owner of apartment units in Columbus or on the Southeast side. Or anything at all. The goal is to get enough of them that it works for us and that it makes us happy. And I don't know, 10 years from now, I might have the skills and the resources. And I say, man, I want to take down a 200 unit building. That'd be cool. Or I might say, hey, I've got 100 doors. This is more than we need. We're super happy here. Um, a concept that's been bouncing around in my head a lot lately is the casual investor. Okay. Uh -huh. um, you know, I'm a pretty laid back person. And <laughs> And I'm the same way in the investing too. You know, put in your thought, put in your, your, do your homework, crunch your numbers, make your decision, put an offer. If you get it, fantastic. If you don't, okay, get the next one. You know, my goal is to not buy wrong buildings. My goal is to not buy money pits. My goal is to not be, you know, shooting from the hip and just pulling the trigger on the next thing that jumps up in front of me. I want to, as long as we're doing the right thing, which I believe is, investing in real estate, adding value to properties, having good tenant relations, growing our portfolio, we will be making incredible progress. And it's exponential. Every year you're able to make more and more progress. Now that doesn't mean that if I was the type of person that would go out there and slam 20 units this year and 40 units next year and do 10 flips, I'm sure I'd be making a ton of money. But my wife and I like to sit and have a beer and look at the garden at the end of the day or right. go out to dinner with some friends, right? I'm, I don't want to work until 11 p.m. I don't necessarily want to start at 5.30 a.m. either. Um, and there are plenty of people who want to get out there and get it, and they should. But right. I think that it's okay. I think that what's going to bring any individual the most success in their path is doing it their way. Right. And back when Amanda and I were, were interested in farming and we, we worked on an organic vegetable farm, before we did that, we actually took a big road trip and went and visited like 20 farms all up and down the East Coast. And what we learned was everyone was totally different. It was a total reflection of the owner down to how tidy it was, quality of crops. Was it big? Was it small? Was it mechanized? Was it a lot of handwork? Did they have a bunch of employees? Was it just two people, right? It was all just a reflection of the person that was running the farm. And it's the exact same thing that I see in the real estate business. I see people who are just, man, this is what they're born to do. And they want to hit on all cylinders. I see other people who are pretty casual about it. Other people are comfortable 
you know, borrowing half a million dollars and restoring a big old mansion and other people who want to buy hundred thousand dollar properties, it doesn't matter. You know, right. it's important to find the, the style of game that you're interested in that works with your personality and then focus on it and get good at it. And don't worry about what, what the guy over there is doing because they're right. always doing something different. Right. And I would say, you know, like the grass always looks greener on the other side, but most people don't, you know, focus on, you know, what's going to work for them and what's going to benefit them. What's the kind of life that they actually want to lead? Um, and I, I feel like that, you know, gets in a way of like, and it also creates, you know, that, you know, analysis paralysis also. Um, and it gets in a, like people get in their own way. It does. And it's not just real estate. That's in life in general. If you are more concerned about what those people over there think about how you're performing, you're sunk, right? What matters is that you are comfortable with your decisions that you're making, that you're executing at a level that you're pleased with, and then you look for where you can improve and you work on improving those levels. And I'm not going to become perfect at it. Um, No one else is either. And um, yeah, it's okay to just be moving in the right direction and be comfortable with that. But if you're worried about, there's always going to be someone shining brighter, yelling louder, making more money. That's just the way it is. And that's just fine. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, that was great. Um, what, uh, what steps did you say you, would you say that you took and ah, let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. What steps would you say that you took, you know, towards, you know, getting that first property or starting, you know, your real estate investing career? All right. So like a lot of the other phases in my life, it was a little unexpected. Um, Amanda and I, when I had lived in one of my last rentals in Columbus, it was in a neighborhood that had experienced a lot of appreciation. It was an Italian village in the late, like 07, 08. And, you know, 10 years, the difference of 10 years in that neighborhood was crazy. And now if you go back 10 years later, it's crazy again. And I remember the, the duplex that we lived in, the the owner had purchased it in the early 90s for 60 grand. And I estimated at the time that we were living there in about 07, 08, um, you know, back then it was probably worth 240. I also knew that he had uh, paid it off in the mid 90s. And, you know, I could do the math. He's sitting there collecting $1,400 a month. Um, we, we were good tenants and the neighbors were good tenants. So there weren't a lot of maintenance expenses and things like that. And I just started thinking, I'm like, Guy lived in New Jersey. We lived in Columbus. I'm thinking, man, this guy has got a pretty good thing right here. Right. <laughs> Go 10 years forward here. And now that property is probably worth $400,000, right? He bought in the early 90s for 60K. And that got my attention. And so Amanda and I had spent a few years working on farms. And let me tell you a secret. You don't make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> and we had just kind of started talking about it. I didn't read any books. I didn't listen to podcasts. I just had just kept thinking about that property that we lived in and how well that guy had done on it. And almost on a whim, as a lot of our big ideas were, I said, you know what? What would you think about us getting a rental property? And she said, sure, because that's what she says when I come up with my crazy ideas. And so, yeah. (laughs) And so we started, you know, I'm an Excel guy. So I started building a little analysis tools, very simple, and just started running properties that were in the MLS. Now, back then in 2014, there was still a lot of deals on the MLS. And um, uh, we didn't have much money. So uh, we spoke with family members about borrowing the money. Um, You know, we paid them 8% interest, which they were pleased with at the time. and 
found a four unit that was small square footage. It was a newer building than the other buildings in the neighborhood. And it had been on the market for a minute because they were trying to sell it as part of a package. And I didn't want the other units in the package. Now, looking back, I wish I'd have bought the other units in the package. But (laughs) (laughs) at the time, that was a lot more than we could handle. I think it was 12 units. That was a lot more than we could handle. And so... Oh, no, right? Yeah. And so then, well, it's funny because now I own a duplex right down the street from one of those that I'm like, I don't want that thing. It's in a <laughs> terrible neighborhood. And now that's where we are. But um, so we said, hey, well, let's just call them and see if they'll sell the one and not the others. And they said, sure. So we ended up getting a really, really good deal on it. Um, but contrary to most investors, you know, I hadn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I didn't know there was no bigger pockets. I hadn't um, listened to any podcasts. I hadn't read a book. I just kept thinking about how I knew that my old landlord made a lot of money. And right. <laughs> we, so we kind of did it backwards. Once, once we bought a place, you know, I bought the like dummies, you know, landlords for dummies and stuff like that. And, like right. spent a weekend reading <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'm a landlord now. And <laughs> basically that was how we went. And, and it was an adventure because uh, the building was, uh, it's actually the little four unit that you came over and visited the one evening that we were yeah. finishing the renovation on. And the tenant mix was not so good. There was four tenants and I believe one job between the four of them. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, you leave grown people around too long without a job or anything to do and things start going sideways. So that's what was happening around there. Um, there were a couple boarded up buildings uh, right in the immediate vicinity that, you know, also attracted uh, all kinds of not great behavior. Um, there was a drug dealer that lived two doors down, but he did most of his action out of our building. So that was, you know, there was like a path back and forth that was pretty hot. So, um, needless to say, we learned quickly. (laughs) Jumped head, uh, jumped head first in that one, huh? (laughs) We did. We did, which is how I tend to do things. (laughs) So what were some of the challenges you guys faced then? Um, uh, you know, aside from, you know, drug dealers and, you know, house of four but only one job <laughs> right right um well the tenants were definitely a challenge uh back then you know i also didn't have any really much understanding of what the laws were surrounding you know being a landlord um so i was definitely shooting from the hip on that one which i don't advise um we just didn't know uh, we uh, again we borrowed the money for the down payment so we had very little money um so the main challenge was that uh, my wife and i were doing basically a full cosmetic rehab to the building ourselves on nights and weekends. We both still had day jobs. I was actually still working on a farm. So I had a pretty physical day job. Um, and then in the evenings and on the weekends, we'd go over to the four unit, and hang out with the fellas and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, hang trim and, and put in new vanities and new toilets and scrub tile and all that kind of stuff. And we had to just kind of take it one step at a time. You know, you want to make this unit nice enough that somebody will live in it, but not so nice that the person that would live in it won't live in the building. And they just kind of make your pass through. Then we keep kind of upgrading them a little bit, a little bit. Um, And now full circle, we're finally back doing real nice renovations on that place. But um, so challenges, just the amount of labor that we had to put in the sweat equity. Um, Looking back though, I, I wouldn't change it because we learned a lot of skills and now if I'm going to be managing a contractor from hiring somebody to do a job, I want to be able to say, hey, I could have done better than that. That's why I hired you to do right. this, you know. So, right. you know, it taught us taught us a lot about uh, just kind of maintaining the mostly interior of a building. So 
that was helpful. Um, it also gave us an idea of just how much materials cost, how much labor goes into this job or that job. So it really gave us an appreciation of what our contractors are doing for us. I think I hear a lot of people complain about contractors. I know they're bad contractors, but I also know that they're bad bosses and bad uh, you know, guys to work for, including the person that owns the building. And being that I've always been a laborer up until the last 10 years and that we did all that work ourselves, and that we did almost all the work on our house, I respect people who, who are doing this hard work because I know how difficult it is. And it's one thing for me to just say, for me to ask somebody to do a job and I understand the challenges that are involved in that job versus someone who's like, hey, move that light over there. And they're kind of like, well, I mean, we got to rip the drywall. We got to move the cables. You know, it's kind of switching over here. It's not that simple. Um, right. And so it gave us a really good ability, I think, to work with contractors and to respect what they're doing. But at the time, big challenge. The other major challenge would be no money. Um, we didn't really have a choice but to do all the work from ourselves because we couldn't afford to hire people. We were essentially using the cash flow from the property, turning it right around and doing putting whatever we could into the building. And there wasn't a ton of cash flow, but there was a little bit. And that's what we were using. And then money from our paychecks was going. I mean, luckily, we weren't obviously going out much or anything at that time. So <laughs> money from our paychecks was going into the building, too. Now, that was hard work. It was about 18 months that we spent doing that. Um, I like to joke that I think we only had one fight and I only threw one wrench, which I thought was <laughs> pretty good over rehabbing four units. Um, uh, but now, you know, that building's squarely worth a quarter million dollars. And, you know, we owe right now about $95,000 on it. So that a lot of some of that's appreciation, of course, but a lot of that was just the sweat that we put into the building. And so in terms of starting out with no money, there's one way to get some is get something that you can hang some equity on and spend some weekends over there, you know, break a little sweat. Would you say that like be a great thing for a rookie to do as well or? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I couldn't, you gotta, if you are a landlord or you're a property investor, properties are your asset, are your commodity, right? So you have to know how properties work, right? I had a little experience because I worked for one of those companies that did, um, like home energy audits. So I'd learned a little bit about kind of the envelope and just HVAC stuff and some basics right. about how buildings function. But if you're going to be, you know, dropping hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars here and there to pick up a building, well, you better know what a building is, right? right. <laughs> and so as far as a, for a rookie goes, it's easy to get sucked. You know, you, you run your analysis, you've been listening to your podcast, you're good to go. Cool. I bought my building. What's a building? What, what's, you know, what, what are all these, what are all these wires? What is all this wood, right? right? What are all these materials? How do you get that counter in there? I don't know. Right. And you are going to think that every contractor in the world is terrible. If you don't know how to ask them the right questions, or you don't know how to tell them to do what you want them to do. Okay. Because not everything's possible and everything's possible, but within a budget, not everything is possible. And so you have that, understanding of how buildings work now you're able to look and say well you know what we could do we could probably knock out this little section here and run that floor out here and create this little space here or you know you can solve problems you can envision um, and see ahead what kind of obstacles you're going to encounter when you do that so again someone who has no understanding of what buildings are and how they work now they're trying to manage a contractor that's not going to be a great relationship because the contractor might be telling you something that's a legitimate challenge they're facing and 
if you're sitting here saying, look, I don't care. I just want it done. It's like, well, you're now you're going to turn around and say, hey, this guy totally overcharged me. He said it was going to be 10 grand. It's 14 grand. And right. he's trying to explain to you, well, it's not easy what you're asking me to do here. It doesn't make sense, right? Whereas right. if you understand that stuff, you can tell them what you want to do and you can talk about those challenges. And also I can tell you as a manager in my day job and then managing contractors, the more detailed you are about what you want, the more likely you are to get it. There is no such thing as you guys just being on the same page and they're going to do what you want them to do, right? No, you have to explain, look, I want this shelf to be centered between these two things. I want it to be about eight inches up, put a little pencil line on there, at least until you've really been through some projects with somebody. Um, right. But but back to what you said, as far as a rookie goes, man, if you want to start borrowing money from people to buy expensive things, you better know something about them. Um, and it's like we've been talking about with the finances, right? If you're going to start, again, moving a lot of money around, you better understand how money works. Well, if you want to start buying buildings, fixing them up and having people pay you to live in them, you better understand how buildings work. Right. And um, I, I got to say, too, uh, you know, just doing that, you're like doing those things initially yourself. You know, you really get like like you said, an appreciation for it. Um, and you can also see what's actually going to add value. That way you're not just, you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. uh, Yeah. absolutely right you do see you see what really makes a difference and what doesn't make a difference and you also see wow that costs a lot of money and we didn't doesn't really look much different versus hey wow that was pretty inexpensive and that really made a difference so it gets your mind thinking definitely in the right you know in the right path like that right i know you and you and i talk also a lot about uh you know seeing things in like a three-dimensional way as well um, especially as far as, you know, adding value where most people might see, you know, well, seeing opportunities where, you know, most other people would just, you know, be like, well, you know, like it's an, an outdated kitchen. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, the tenants are not paying, you know, market rent. So I don't want that one. But most people like you, for example, you know, you see that opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's interesting, too, because I talked about, um finding your style and, and you're, what you're saying right there becomes part of your style, right? You, you start to be like, ah, oh, man, I really like it when I get the vacant building because I can jump right in there. Or, you know, hey, this is cool. If there are these month-to-month tenants, I'm going to leave them for a year so I can get a little cash flow so then I can make this investment next year. Um, you know, that, that becomes kind of part of your style. I don't want to buy it places totally fixed up and renovated. There's nothing for me to do with it at that point. I see an outdated kitchen, but it's got great drywall. I'm like, hmm, this could be pretty good. Um, that property we were at looking at last week, you know, I'm sh- Amanda and I are walking around going, man, look at the drywall. The drywall is so good. You know, that, that to me, it was like a highlight of that building, but everything else in there, there's so much we can do with it. Um, right. So yeah, that definitely becomes part of your style, I think, and knowing what you're looking for. And I see stuff close on the market every day and I'm just thinking, man, who bought that? Like, I don't understand. But that when I close on something, there's probably just as many people out there saying, I don't understand why they would want that thing. You know, it's too small. It's too old. Or you can't, it's missing this or that. And that's okay. Right. And it's all, it all, it's all up to your goals at the end of the day. You know, what are you trying to accomplish personally? It's so. that. And then becoming a little less, um, that's the right way to put this. It's not stringent, but understanding that there's a lot of buildings out there. Um, you know, I might make 10 offers and not get one of them and that's fine. But then if we decide, 
well, man, we really want this one. Maybe we'll overpay a little bit because we want it to meet our reasons or whatever. So you kind of have to, it's just a house. It's just a building. We live in Columbus. There's hundreds of thousands of buildings, right? Didn't get that one. We'll try and find another one. But then if you see one you really want and you know why you want it, you might want it more than the next person, then, you know, go after it a little bit harder. Right. So uh, I wanted to ask you as well, when did things become, well, when did things start becoming a little easier for you as far as, you know, grabbing properties, rehabbing them and, you know, refinancing them to get your money back out, repeat the process? Uh, yeah, I think for us, and again, we were both working full-time day jobs, um, which limits your your time and your mental, you know, available mental ability. But for us, I would say, you know, it took about five years until you you really settle into just being a landlord. You get used to just having tenants. You know, you don't get nervous every time a tenant calls you over something. It's just, you just get comfortable with it. Um, you know, someone calls and says, hey, half my roof blew off in that windstorm. <laughs> okay, well, we got to get the insurance company out there and get a tarp on it and figure it out. You know, yeah. um, at, at the beginning, you know, the no money, the no time, you're working know, doing sweat equity and stuff. Um, you're a little more on edge. You're walking a little bit more of a thin line. You don't have as much wiggle room to, to, to cover unexpected challenges. Five years in, you know, you build a little, we had built a little equity, uh, had some doors, have, have some revenue, have a little experience. Um, had actually quite a few experiences. And, and I think at that point, you just, we just had a little bit thicker skin and just had accepted what it is to be a landlord. Um, and then it just becomes a lot more comfortable, I would say. All right. Um, when would you guys say that you made the the transition to uh, like doing the bird strategy exclusively or? Well, interesting. How, how did that work? Yeah. So I think it was just the most obvious system for me. I knew we were in an area, I lived in that neighborhood by that four unit off and on for 10 years by that point. So I was very, very familiar with it. And I knew there was just a lot of potential for appreciation here. I understood how, you know, to, to value that a little bit of a property's value is going to be based on the revenue it generates so that we could increase this revenue by making them a little nicer. This property is going to be worth more but I'm not going to owe more on it. And I, I understood then there's this gap here that you call equity, right? At the beginning, we didn't have very much equity, but as we increased value, our debt didn't go up any. So now all of a sudden we have some equity and it became clear to me, again, I was working a relatively low paying job at the time. I wasn't going to be able to just whip out 30 grand for another down payment, but I'm like, well, we've got 60 grand in equity in that building right there. So if we could just refinance it and get 30 of it out, now we've got down payment money. And so for us, it it wasn't really a strategy. For me, it was just trying to figure out how to come up with capital. Um, I'm an equity hog, so I didn't really want equity partners. I didn't want to necessarily borrow all the money from somebody and do the work myself and go 50-50 on equity. I saw, I could see that the equity was the secret. If you can have all that equity, that's where you can use chunks of it to make moves. Um, And so for us, it was just, the most obvious way forward at that time. You've seen what the neighborhoods that I'm in have done. And we knew there was just going to be a lot of appreciation there. So if we paired that with, you know, 
taking care of deferred maintenance, putting stable tenants in, just solidifying these buildings. We knew that would be, you know, we'd be in really good shape and that there'd be a lot of equity sitting in those buildings that we could then utilize to dump into more buildings. So for us, it was the path of least resistance. Funny thing is, now that we're a little further along and my wife's a real estate agent, now we're, and we have a little more access to capital. Now we are looking at doing some smaller flips that are near our house strictly as a means to generate capital. Um, you know, with her being an agent, I mean, she could pick up some uh, commission and some transactions off of that. It's a way for us to help keep our contractor busy because com- it's competitive to keep contractors around here. So I want to keep him jumping from job to job to job so that we're always a top tier customer for him. So right, keep, him happy. keep him happy, keep his guys fed. And so, you know, we're, we're finishing up our last renovation now, going right into the Oakwood renovation. Um, going to have him do some stuff at our house. After that, I'm hoping to have a little flip I could have lined up for him. Um, again, to keep my investors active and keep my contractor active, right? So right. if I borrow some money from somebody, 10% turn around and give it back to them. They just say, do you want to, do you still want it? You can have it longer, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the best situation I could be in is say, actually, sure. I'm going to go ahead and buy this little single family here. We're going to put 30 grand into it. Um, his, this guy's going to be happy with his 10%. Maybe Amanda and I can get 20 grand and that can go towards our next purchase. So right. not changing the strategy um, in terms of the end game being our buying holds. It's just that we're looking at maybe doing some flips um, to help accelerate with capital. And also, um, to me, there's like a compounding factor there. I know a lot of flippers, you know, some flippers and it's easy to get hooked on that flipper money. You know, Mm -hmm. you sell that place, you get 40 grand, you're just going to do one more and then you're going to maybe get a buy and hold. Well, five years later, they haven't got a single buy and hold they're making, I mean, their, you know, tax returns look great, but no residual income. And you know, they're always saying to me, man, that's what I want to be doing is buying hold. And I'm thinking, man, you make so much more money than me and you have access to so many more houses than me. I don't know why you don't just keep one of them here and there. But right. we see it as a way to compound because if I can do a small flip, she can get a little commission. Maybe we make 20 grand on the flip. And now I'm taking that money as part of some cash I'm going to use to buy a property that we're going to renovate and finance. Now I just took the 20 grand off the flip, which I made money on that deal. Now I'm putting it into a deal where I'm going to make another maybe 20 or 40 or 50,000 in equity. So I'm, I'm comp, you know, instead of taking that 20 grand and living off it or going somewhere, I'm going to take that 20 grand, put it in another big equity place. Hopefully I can turn it into 50. Right. And then go back and be trying to flip another house, you know? Right. So kind of, you kind of, you know, increasing the income on one side, but also increasing that wealth, you know, with equity on the other side as well. And I noticed you didn't say, you know, you're going to take that 20 grand and go, uh, you know, buy a Tesla, for example. No. (laughs) Well, you've seen my car, but (laughs) (laughs) I I probably should, but no, (laughs) but no, I'm not. I'm not saying we won't go out for a nice dinner to celebrate or maybe even take a weekend away, but we know where that money is best used and that's get it into a building (laughs) as fast as possible. Can't get distracted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome, man. Well, what um, what are some things that you do to get yourself in shape? You know, mentally, physically, spiritually. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, owning real estate can be stressful. So, what do you do to you know stay level headed and you know, in the right mindset? Right. Sure. Um, I think like a lot of people, it's a it's a wave. I go in and out. There's definitely times when I'm more focused than other. Um. 
but I think for me, it goes back a little bit to what I said about the casual investor. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just, I try I and just, that. yeah, I try and just, I mean, that's, that's the opposite of how a lot of people approach things, but um, I've always had low blood pressure and I want to keep it that way. And so basically I'll ratchet it up until I'm just feeling like, man, I don't know, we just need to dial it back for a minute and take it easy and take the foot off the accelerator for a minute. Um, so for me, I, I would say it's just about trying to maintain control, always taking that step back and looking at the big picture. As long as I know I'm on the right path, um, then I don't have to just grind so hard all the time. Um, right. So that's part of it, I think, just just moderating my ambition to a point where I'm not going to wear myself out, burn myself out. Um, this is a marathon for us. It's not a sprint. It's a lifestyle. So right. it's kind of like anything else, whatever foods you eat, you don't, you know, eat a little better this week and all of a sudden you're looking good, right? It's a long-term, a long-term deal. So I don't expect to see, you know, amazing results in six months. I want to see amazing results in 10 years, five years. Um, but in order and really to get back to the core of your question though, um, I'm good at taking time off. I'm good at turning off. So I don't, um, you know, I'm not very active on social media, which has its pros and cons. Uh, but I'm, you know, if I'm out working in the yard, my, my phone is usually sitting inside somewhere unless I'm listening to a podcast. Um, I like to read, you know, I like history. I like listening to, to podcasts that aren't just about real estate. I listen to all kinds of really like storytelling. So stuff like the moth radio hour and stuff like that. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty good at just turning off and saying "Hmm, I'm done for the day. And, and that's it. Then I'm just going to enjoy myself and try and relax a little bit. I really think that's one of the downsides to just how connected everything is and, and the amazing technology we have on our phones. It's fantastic, but nobody turns off anymore. And, and then if you do, it's almost like you're supposed to feel guilty about it or something. Cause somebody couldn't get a hold of you for two hours. You know, I'm like, yeah, I was, I was digging a hole, man. I don't know. I was busy, like, you know? So, um, I didn't know you needed 24 hour access to me. I, I saw you called. I'll call you back later, you know? So, um, actually, there's a, a book. It's one of my favorite books. It's about uh, uh, I can, time management, but just about being very um, productive. And it's called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. He's written a lot of great books. But um, one of the things that I love about that book is he's he took control of his email. And basically, you know, he schedules times during the day that he'll that he that he answer, responds to emails. Uh-huh. And. You know, if, if somebody needs a, an answer more pressing than that, then they should probably have a cell phone number. They can give them a call. But rather than being a slave to this constant, you know, um, stimulus coming in, he checks it at 10 a.m. He checks it at 2 p.m. and checks it once at the end of the day. And, you know, if anybody needs them between those times, they can give him a call or they can just wait until he gets to the email. Um, and so I try and take that approach with a lot of things. We value customer service in our property management busy. So we really try and be responsive to tenants. However, that doesn't mean that a tenant owns me. If a tenant calls me and tells me that there's a problem, okay, I'm going to make some phone calls. Okay. Guy will be there Tuesday morning. Um, I apologize for the inconvenience in the meantime, but that's all I can do. And same thing happens at my house. If I have a problem and the guy can't come fix it for two days, I just have to deal with it for a couple of days. And so it's kind of a relaxing of, of having things needing to be perfect and, and understand it. sometimes, you know, it's going to take a minute and then we'll get to it. Um, and so, you know, to get back to your question, I really try and 
not push myself to that level where I feel like I'm fried and that I need out. Um, before I get there, I say, yeah, let's, let's take today and goof around or, you know, let's just have a good time. Right. And I, I know, um, you know, on social media, everyone has that mindset of, you know, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. You know, if you're not, you know, tired, you're not doing something right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I like, you know, what you said, you know, you can, you can build wealth, you can, you know, do these things that you want to do in your life, but you don't have to do them 25, eight. Completely. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, when you are an old person, you are not going to be sitting there going, oh man, it was March 18th, 2021. My balance sheet hit 250 grand. And that was something. <laughs> no, but you might remember your kid's first baseball game, or you might remember, you know, the first time that you, you know, built the, you know, build a bookcase at your house or whatever, you know, right. it's it, again, going back to that. I'm a person that's driven by experience. The money is intended to fund the experiences and to create the environment in my life where I can be, you know, relaxed and able to pursue experiences. Um, so yeah, none of those things are what you're going to remember when you're an old guy. And I somehow determined long, long time ago, so when I'm an old guy sitting in a nursing home, I want to be sitting around telling stories. I don't want to be the guy sitting there listening to stories. Right. Right. And so the only way you can do that is to be out there, you know, pursuing, pursuing things. And and I'm sorry, but sitting around slamming out, you know, 10,000 mailers and and making your hundred calls and all. That's great. I don't have the mindset for it. I just can't do it. (laughs) Right. And that's okay. You know, you you still do what makes you happy. That's right. At the end of the day. And I love that. Yeah. Um, Cool, man. So let's get into uh, a little bit of story time. You ready? Sure. All right. So. What was the worst thing that's happened since you started investing? Any horror stories? <laughs> All right. Yeah, you, I know you. You may so have. A, <laughs> yeah, you may have a little insight here. There, there is. We we've had a couple. We definitely have had a couple. Um, the one that stands out the most is uh, an unfortunate story. It was a duplex that we got. It was a great deal. Good building. One side was vacant, so when we bought it, we uh, renovated that other side, the vacant side, and uh, the tenant in the other side, she wasn't the greatest, but I always try and, especially the tenants you inherit when you purchase property, um, you know, it's not their fault that their landlord sold the building. And I try and keep their lives as consistent as possible. We generally just keep their lease in force until it's up and then, you know, work out whether it's going to be time for them to move on or we just re-sign them with one of our leases or whatever. So I've been working with her, but it had been, we've been having some trouble. Uh, and we just finished the renovation on the vacant unit. And so I was going there to show it to a few people and I pull up and there was just this really weird vibe in the neighborhood. First of all, I couldn't find anywhere to park, which was really unusual. And then I see these guys in suits talking to my tenant and I'm like, Oh man, this can't be good. Cause I'm thinking she called the city on me for something. She's, I thought she was trying to do something to get me cause we've been struggling. I'm like, man, who are these guys? They don't look like her friends that she had over for breakfast, you know? <laughs> So I had to park down the street and I come walking back up and these two neighbors are standing on the porch and I'm like, Hey, what's going on out here? Turns out that her son had shot somebody um, that morning in the street right in front of the house. So uh, here I am going to show an apartment to multiple couples that were coming to see the apartment. And I'm literally, you know, five minutes prior to find out that they, the reason there was no parking is because they had just cleaned up all the police tape. So all the cars on the street hadn't been able to move. 
Um, and in the, you know, four or five in the morning, her 20 year old son had come out of the house and murdered an 18 year old guy in the street. Um, obviously the two knew each other in some way, but it was a terrible situation. And regardless of that, immediately my mind was thinking, okay, how does this, I, I knew a little more about being a landlord at this point. So I'm just need to think about, okay, is, is there any liability issues here? Um, what do I need to be aware of? Uh, you know, I own the building and someone did right. come out of it shooting a gun at somebody. So I just need to make sure, is there anything I need to know? So I made it, <laughs> made it relatively, well, first of all, I did some terrible apartment showings <laughs> because the people, one thing people love to ask when they're looking at an apartment is they, well, how's crime in the area? How's, <laughs> how's the neighborhood? Yeah. Well, you know, there was a murder this morning. Other than that, it's really pretty good. So uh, not a bad place. Um, so it was a little high drama situation, let's say. I, but my main concern became now I can't I can't lease this because um, with that uh, crime of that nature, I was concerned about retaliation. And I'm thinking, right. OK, now I put some family in here on this side of the building and somebody comes by shooting up the building to you know try and get back at the guy that was in jail already because he got arrested that morning. Um, right. But uh, so now I was in a real situation. I just spent a bunch of money to renovate half the building and I didn't feel like I could lease it. Um, I also have this now other situation where, you know, I have a tenant that's got a really complex situation that they're going to have to deal with. Um, so that was a mess. That situation was a mess. And we definitely, it, you know, it costs us thousands of dollars and in, in vacancies and, and et cetera. Um, and then I had to, that, that woman ended up leaving in, you know, a month or two, and then we had to go in and renovate that side of the building, which I hadn't been planning on doing. So I didn't have the capital available. So it sat there for a minute while I was raising money. And, you know, it was just turned it all into a very inefficient process. So where my goal had been to, you know, fill the one, fill the renovated side, let her write out her lease, let it cash flow for a minute, figure out that renovation the next year or whatever. And it turned into now I got an empty building, one side's renovated, one side needs renovated, and I got no revenue coming in. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation, but really uh i was obviously least affected by the situation that i mean that's a it's a tragedy all around i did go back and and look in on the case months later and yeah he was convicted of uh aggravated murder and serving a 35 year to life sentence so 20 20 years old going in and maybe in his 50s if he ever comes out and the other guy that's it nothing there so yep that that was was a bad one yeah (laughs) Definitely a horror story, buddy. But. That was a horror story. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, you know they aren't all that bad, and um, I do know, <laughs> I do know landlords who have had gruesome murders in their buildings. So at Jeez. least that didn't happen. But um, right. nobody ever wants to be that close to that kind of violence. Obviously, um, not to mention just how disruptive it is to, let alone the families, but the neighborhood. Um, right. You know, you just nobody wants that. So it was a tough situation. Right. And even though you, you know, you guys went through that, you know, and had, you know, vacancy on both sides and, you know, running around and you're trying to raise money to get everything done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys, you know, still came out, you know, perfectly fine. You know, really. Yeah, it was. Really it's, it's a great building, actually. Um, <laughs> that afternoon, uh, Amanda and I decided to do some day drinking after that because we were a little, <laughs> a little frazzled. And yeah. <laughs> we were having a conversation about, should we just sell it? Should we just sell it? Maybe we'll make 10 grand or something and just be done with it. Um, Cause it just freaked us out. And we had had some other issues at the building. Just like we thought maybe we've got a cursed building, you know? 
Um, you know, I'm glad we stuck it out. It's in a very, you know, high appreciation neighborhood in Columbus. It's worth a fair amount of money now. It's going to be a really strong, you know, cash flow performer for years and years to come. So I'm glad we stuck it out. But I definitely had a few nights where I wasn't getting a lot of sleep there because that's the one thing about being a landlord is um, those situations present themselves, right? I didn't do anything to create that situation, but I had to deal with it. I didn't want anything to do with it, but I had to. So that type of feeling makes me a little uncomfortable. And then, of course, um, you know, not having the money. I'm, I was already I went ahead and started the renovation because I knew it had to happen, but I didn't have the money to pay for it. So I, right. I was in a little financial stress right there and, you know, et cetera. But we came through it. Right. Would you say it kind of made you a better landlord overall then? Yeah. All those experiences do. All those experiences do because, A, you're going to learn something about the legalities of it. You're going to learn something about... Um, you know, how to, well, like I had to scramble to raise some capital, um, had to kind of pull some strings there to make that happen in a real short time scale. I had to dig up a contractor, you know, so we definitely had to scramble to execute there. And yeah, all that kind of stuff makes you, that's, I mean, that's experience and you can't fake experience. So right. sometimes what people don't tell you about experience, experience is great, but sometimes it sucks while you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> You never think at, you know, you never thinking, you know, during it, like, hey, at the end of this, it's going to be great. No, you don't. <laughs> not, like, that's not how it works. Yeah, usually, yeah. No. Awesome, man. Uh, what would you say is the best thing that has happened to you since investing? Um, the balance sheet. Balance yeah. sheet. Yeah. Um, the way I was living before, I was never going to be able to afford to retire, let alone live a live a nice life you know um and so boy the change that that has to your psyche seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and saying holy crap like we actually we're actually gonna make this work here you know um it changes you a little bit it makes you it gives your life a little more purpose uh gives you more confidence in what you're doing and we've just been fortunate and made good decisions and done a lot of hard work over the years and, and it's paying off so right. in terms of just the best thing, it's not one thing. It's it's basically the fact that the plan is working, right? Right. Um, and like the beautiful thing about real estate is you all you also do still have the ability to bail. I mean, if you want, to, if we wanted to tomorrow, we could just sell everything and pay a big you know chunk in taxes, but you know have to take a chunk of cash and sell off in the sunset if we wanted to. Um, right. We don't want to do that, right? Because our buildings pay us every month right now. And they appreciate. Um, but in terms of having that real asset, I could. Tomorrow, I could get out of this game. We could list the whole portfolio. I bet I could get an offer on it tomorrow and close. And, you know, in 30 days, I could not own a single building and have a bunch of money in the bank. So that's kind of a neat perspective because most things that you commit to, particularly business ventures, you're in. You know, once you're in, you open a brick and mortar or you open a service that has a, you know, a lot of a debt to service, um, you're in that sucker. And usually it's going to be, you know, your ass on the line because you signed some personal guarantee that you're going to personally go bankrupt if that business doesn't make it. Um, And that's clearly one of the things that is special about real estate is uh, I can get out by selling. Um, It's very unlikely that I'm going to go bankrupt for that reason as well, unless I make, you know, crazy with leverage or, you know, just get really ambitious or just, you know, have borrow money with no plan on how it's going to be repaid, things like that. But I mean, that's just poor execution. Um, but so you're able to make an escape if you need to, in the meantime, you're not 
you know, you're, you're, the thing that you owe debt on is going to increase in value, which isn't necessarily the case. It's just a lot less riskier than a lot of other businesses that I can consider. So I, I don't know. All I know is until we feel like we can do what we want, when we want, um, we'll just keep hitting it. Yeah. Sweet, man. So last uh, last segment here, um, and it's actually my personal favorite. It's called the Highlight Wheel because, you know, we're a okay. Buckeye Investor show. So we got to keep you know the right themes on. going. And all, all right, right, just seven questions to ask you. Um, you know, you can take, you know, one or two seconds to think of them, but I wish you just name off the first thing that comes to your head for me. Um, are you ready? Yes, sir. Awesome, man. What is one thing that you have done in your life that you could say you are the most proud of? Uh, doing a whole through hike at the Appalachian Trail is a pretty big accomplishment, yeah. Yeah, that's I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Second thing, man, what was the most rewarding thing you have done for someone else? Hmm. Well, I um, I taught English as a second language for quite some time and made some pretty good friends with people from all over the world. And I uh, actually uh, have been teaching a woman from China who's, you know, 30 years older than me, English for, I don't know, four or five years. And, you know, we've become friends and I would have never had the opportunity to, you know, get to know an older woman from China if I hadn't been in that situation. So uh, I like teaching, as you know. Um, and I like working with people to help them become successful. And if you come here from another country and you can't speak English, you're going to need some English to help become successful. So I find that is a really great way that, you know, to be able to help people out. Right. So for our, all our listeners, if, you know, you struggle with English, Nate Roderick is the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for you. I'll teach you good. All right. Number three, what book have you gifted the most? Hmm. That's interesting. All right. Well, on the nerdy side, I might go with the E-Myth. The E-Myth, yeah, for people who are, you know, there's a lot of people who that's the book that could really help them close a few gaps in their thinking. And um, so on uh, on that side of things, you know, on the nonfiction, et cetera, the self-improvement, I'd say the E-Myth is a book that I've gifted several times. Um, the other ones are like really nerdy historical nonfictions that my dad and I get back and forth. So. Gotcha. You want to name <laughs> off one just for the hell of it? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think. There was one uh, uh, relatively recently about the guy who um, was killing everybody during the Chicago uh, um, World's Fair. And now I can't think of what it was called, but it's really good. It's interesting. There was a serial killer uh, when this, they did the Chicago World's Fair in like 19, early 1930s. And pretty interesting story. But I forget the name of I'm it. I'm sure someone out there knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, that, I, I love that book. <laughs> yeah, that book is so good. <laughs> awesome. Um, number four, who has been the biggest influence on you in your life? Uh, my dad. Like yep. I've got a great dad. Yep. And we're very similar, except for he was military and became a CEO later in his career. And I was like the artist guy who was out walking in the woods. So like, but other than if you can imagine those two people being really, really similar, that's what it is. And so uh, we relate to each other really well. I'm super fortunate for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Number five, if the world was ending in 24 hours, what would be the first thing you would do? Okay. Well, we're going to pretend that there aren't a lot of real world constraints on this question <laughs> um, because what I would do is uh, definitely, you know, I'd have to get a little bit of time with my family, you know, just, just 
get as many friends and family as you could, like real quick, do a quick party. But let's say you could do that in six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably head for a mountain and get as close to the top as I could. That's awesome. Yeah. Number six, where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, man. If they would want to, the easiest way is to just get a hold of me. You can email me at nate at ccproperties.biz, B-I-Z. Um, I'm not really very active on social media. It's just not where my, it's not the way my brain works. Um, so it's not a great place to find me there. You can find Central City Properties on Facebook, of course. See some of our uh, properties there. We're not super active on Facebook. Um, but yep, just uh, shoot me an email, nate at ccproperties.biz. Awesome. And last question, what is it that our listeners can bring you that will be of value to you, uh, to your life or to your business? Man, I like talking real estate with people. Um, and so I love hearing stories. Every investor I know has stories like the one I shared with you. Some aren't, aren't as dramatic, but maybe it's about a renovation. Maybe it's about some crazy thing that a tenant did. Maybe it's about some crazy, awesome thing that happened to them. Um, maybe it's some new you know, loan product that a guy they know has that he's offering. Um, so basically, if it's, if it's relevant, if it's current, if it's you know, connected to real estate, um, and as long as you're not calling me, telling me what you think I ought to do, <laughs> I want to hear about it. Awesome. You know? Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't really take too well to that. I don't, you know, like what people think they have it figured out because none of us have it figured out, but, um, man, I love, uh, like at the group that we go to, you know, I meet people every time you go have a, have a drink, have a sandwich. And I mean, you just have these great conversations. And every time I walk out of there, I'm like, I learned something. I walk out of there motivated. So Really, just people like-minded people looking to connect. That's enough for me. Awesome. Um, and is there any like specific deals that you guys are looking for? Or, um... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, as far as turnkey stuff goes, you know, we're only multifamily. We're not looking at single families. Um, we pretty much invest on the southeast side of Columbus. Um, we would do turnkey, relatively turnkey deals, tenant occupied that don't need major renovations that you just kind of conventionally finance. Those are going to be on the lower end, hundred, $120,000 like that. Um, then the other deals that we're looking for are buildings that need, you know, substantial renovation, typically in the hundred to $150,000 price range where we're going to put, you know, do 40 to 80,000 renovations um, and then try and get some financing on the back end of it. So those are the two styles of deals that we're looking for right now. Well, and then now we're also looking for our small <laughs> single family flips. So uh, again, that's going to be southeast side. We're going to be looking for flips where I want to make 20 grand, basically, if I'm going to put my time into it. Um, so we're looking for small single family flips on the southeast side. We're looking for little turnkey, uh, you know, C plus B minus class properties that we can conventionally finance $120,000. And then we're looking for uh, properties that need renovated that are $100,000, $150,000. Awesome. So guys, if... Uh... You know, you guys have any uh, any deals that, you know, you need help closing or, you know, want to help out Nate here, you know, give him a shout. Yeah, send them along. I'd love to take a look at them. And also, uh, you know, I like helping people figure out what they're looking for, too. So I'm all, always willing to open up those conversations with people. Um, if you've got a deal that you're considering, um, I'd love to take a look at it, too. Maybe maybe I'm not interested in it. Maybe you're not interested in it, but we can talk about it. Awesome. Well, Nate, man, it was a pleasure having you. It's always, you know, great yeah. when we meet up and, you know, have a great conversation. So I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks for uh, letting me be the honorary uh, first guest. That's right. awesome. Numero- I wish you a lot of, 
a lot of success with right. this. Numero uno. Hopefully, I didn't, you know, uh, talk it. your ear off too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, bring me back for episode 100, and we'll see. Definitely. We'll see. Uh, we'll be like, hopefully, people are calling in and being like, hey, that first episode, though, that was the one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that, the host, you know, he said, um, a lot, but, you know, he, he was awesome. <laughs> Other than that, unbelievable content. Right. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Great. Well, that's it. <laughs> hey, excellent. Well done, man. Thanks for having me on, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining us today on another amazing episode of the Buckeye Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe so you can be notified every time we post a new episode. We would also really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review. This really helps us get this great content in front of more people. As always, keep striving for greatness, and I'll see you guys on the next one. Have a good one. Peace.